0: influencers, inspiration, and Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. This is Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Here's Connor Begley.
1: Welcome to Earned, everyone. Uh, Today, we are going to learn from one of the most talented and hardworking people in the world, in my opinion, Mariana Hewitt. Uh, Welcome to the show, Mariana.
0: Thank you. That's so kind of you.
1: Well, it is well earned. I have no idea how you do all of the things that you do Um, because I do some of them not as well and uh, less of them. So,
0: I definitely have a lot of jobs, but I feel like I love, you know, doing all of the things that I do. And I feel like they're so interchangeable. And I know we'll get into it, but I feel like being an influencer has made me a really great brand founder. And then being a brand founder in turn has made me a better influencer because now I really understand both sides of the business. And so, I I love doing all of them. I just, you don't only have so much to my capacity.
1: Yeah, that's uh, the the capacity part's the hardest part, right? Just focus is so tough when you have so many good things to do, right? Like there's just so many good ideas. Um, Yeah. Yeah,
0: I feel like the focus part is something that, is ever evolving and I'm always trying to improve on. And I feel like, you know, the later I get in each phases of my career, because I feel like as an influencer, I've been doing it for a long time now. So, you know, I'm, I'm over a decade in at that point. And then in the brand side, I'm on the early side. So it's like very two different parts of the career. So it's like whereas as an influencer, I have the flexibility now and the freedom to be able to say no to a lot of projects unless I really want to work on it. On the brand side, we're still so early. So it's like still that phase of like getting into everything, saying yes, um, so it's really different.
1: Yeah. Well, you're also a podcast host as well. So I don't know if that goes into the influencer bucket or the brand bucket. I'm not sure which one that is.
0: I think it's a little of both. I think being an influencer, it's definitely in like the content creation side. But I feel like as a podcast host on the brand side, I'm interviewing my peers. And so when I'm interviewing people, I'm not chatting with them like a journalist. I'm chatting with them like a peer. And I feel like I'm asking questions that I want to know because I'm actually doing what they do. It might be in a different field, but I feel like I'm asking the questions that would actually help me. So not only am I teaching stuff to my audience, but I'm also learning along the way. In each episode, I'm picking up little things that we can apply to our businesses too. And so I learned so much um, just by meeting and connecting with all these people.
1: I'm the exact same way. I think that's the, the best part about putting together these questions before an interview is like, it's just like, what am I curious about? Like, what do I want to know about? Uh, so it's like, I get to ask these people all these questions that I have. And uh, I don't know, it's one of the best parts. For sure. Well, uh, for those that don't know, uh, Mariana, uh, let's give you a little a little taste. So she's got over a million fans online. Um, she was named WWD Beauty Inc.'s Influencer of the Year, as well as Revolve's Beauty Influencer of the Year. Uh, her brand, which she mentioned, Summer Fridays, uh, has grown rapidly. So they were the number 52 ranked brand we tracked in 2018 in skincare by EMV. And now they're the number nine. And not only are they in the top 10, but they're the second fastest growing brand of the top 10 skincare brands in the last six months by EMV. So congrats on that. And then again, you've got a very successful podcast as well that uh, I listen to, and uh, I think is fantastic. I think you do a great job of it.
0: Thank you so much. I have to say, so one of our goals for last year and like one of my personal goals was was just to get on the top 10 one time. And (laughs) I feel like you said we were 52 in 2018, which is the year that we launched. So from 52 at launch to now being in the top 10 consistently, it was such a huge goal. And I think pre-pandemic, and I've talked about this before on Clubhouse specifically, but as an indie brand, you only have so much budget, right? And each Mm -hmm. year that improves a little bit. And I found that we were competing with brands that had a really large budget. They had budget to take people on these amazing trips to pay people. And we didn't have that. And so I felt like, oh, my gosh, how will we ever break into this top 10 when it's not an even even playing field? Um, And so when the pandemic hit last year and brands pivoted their budget, influencer trips stop happening, events stop happening, it kind of, I think, changed up what the top 10 looked like and it made it a little bit more even, like who really is just sharing the product not because they went on a trip or not because of some big event where like everybody went and posted about it. And so I feel like it gave smaller brands and indie brands a chance. And then we made it once. And I was like, I think I cried. I was so happy. <laughs> and then we continued to make it. And every month we're just like, oh my gosh. And like one month, I think we were, I think last month or a couple of months ago, we were number two. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I was hoping that we just got in the top 10 once and to be consistently there now, it's such a huge milestone. And it's something so celebrated by our team. And you know that I'm obsessed with the stats. I go in all the time. It's like my favorite platform. Um, so very, very grateful.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, I would love to claim credit here, but it's all you guys, right? We're just we're just here to measure. You guys are the ones doing the hard work. So congrats. And I'm excited to dive into that because I've got a lot of questions about how you actually got there. Um, but before we do that, I'd love to kind of take a step back and help people get to know you a little bit. So, you know, starting at the beginning, I know that you you, know, you came out, you had a job, you're working on your job, and then you started your blog, right? That was the first thing that you did. Um, take me back to that first day. What was it like to uh what made you decide to do it? And then what was it like during the the early days?
0: So in the early days, like I'll say when I wanted to grow up, or I still do want to be Oprah, which I feel like so many people do. <laughs> and the reason why I loved Oprah so much is I felt like she had a platform and she could share things that she loved, things that she wanted to share with other people. She wanted to inspire or motivate or educate people. And then she had Oprah's favorite things. And it was like, I have Mariana's favorite things. Like, how do I share <laughs> the things that I love with a lot of people? And I thought the only way I could do this at the time, this is like pre-YouTube, pre-everything, was to be a television. Vision host so I wanted to move to Los Angeles I wanted to be a TV host that ended up being my career I was working in entertainment PR and then I pivoted to fashion and beauty and around that time too so it's like a catch-22 to get a job as a host you have to be relevant but you can't be relevant without a host and like this is before social media where you can make your own platform and so I filmed like a fake reel like these set up like situations where I'm like fake interviewing people or fake doing like talking to camera, put it on my YouTube channel and really use, use that as like um, a resume, a digital resume for myself. And then because I had that YouTube channel in 2012, I uploaded my very first makeup tutorial and then I got a job and I was working full time as a host. So I didn't really have time to dedicate to my YouTube. So I was creating content at work and then at work, There was like a couple bloggers, like very, very, very few. It was like Chriselle Lim, Ami Song, Sincerely Jules, like there's Nicole Guerrero, uh, Carly Bible. So there's a couple bloggers, a couple YouTubers at this time. Mm -hmm. And I was seeing what they were doing, and I'm like, this is what I went to school for. This is everything I wanted to be when I grew up. I I know how to write a script. I know how to put it in a teleprompter. I know how to edit video. I knew how to do all of this stuff because of work. And so I was like, I can take all the skills that I know and translate that into a blog and YouTube channel, not having any idea it would become what it did today and how it's, you know, then pivoted into having our very own business. So I was working at the same time. I Told I had Instagram. This was like really early Instagram days. And I was like, I'm just going to post on Instagram that I'm launching a blog on February 1st. I had no website done. I had no nothing. But I was like, if I tell the world, like my followers are my accountability and I have to follow through and do it. And so got my blog up February 1st. Um, that would have been in 2012. And then my site crashed because there was so much traffic that day. And I was like, Whoa. okay, there's something here. Wait,
1: where were all those people coming from? I mean, at that point, how did you have such a big audience already? So
0: I this was like early days of Instagram. Where I think people didn't really know what Instagram was like. I thought it was like a filtering app. So then you could filter your pictures and like upload them to your Facebook and like show your family and friends. I had an I had an Instagram account, but because I was working as a television host at that time, um, so first I was doing entertainment, then I pivoted to fashion and beauty news. I would go to red carpets, I would go to interviews. And then before, while I was like setting up and waiting for people to arrive on the red carpet, I would take a picture of myself there. And Mm. I would start posting those to my Instagram because I was just promoting like what I was doing for work. And then instead of people being like, oh, what did what was this interview about? They said, what dress are you wearing? How did you do your hair and makeup? And so it started to be less about the people I was interviewing and the people I was talking to and more about myself. And so I started gaining this little following from there where then I could, you know, use that to leverage to launch the blog and then eventually be able to be a full-time influencer. And so that kind of happened. So I would say 2012, I launched my YouTube channel, 2000, sorry, 2014, I launched my blog. Mm -hmm. 2014 was when I became an influencer full-time. And so, um, almost a decade of, of doing this now.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing that people underestimate, right? Is they see you and like, oh my God, what, you know, what a quick success, right? What an overnight success. It's like, no, 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 no. I've been building this community for almost 10 years. Like, and before that I was doing a lot of work that made me prepared to build a community, right? With your work on, on, uh, as a host. And so, uh, you know, the, the 10 year overnight success, uh, strikes again. Um, so, talk me through. I'm really curious, you know, just to kind of stay on the influencer side of your your background first. You know, what does your what did your income look like during those? Call it the first, call it 2014 to 2018, like pre Summer Fridays. Where where were you making money? What did what were the sources? Uh, and then how did that kind of change over time?
0: So, at that time, you were either a blogger or you were a YouTuber. A mm-hmm. lot of people weren't really doing both. And I started really with my Instagram platform and then leveraged that to grow my other platforms. And so at the time blog was like, you know, I was doing a lot of sponsored blog posts, which is so different now. Now I like, I don't really do sponsored blog posts anymore. Mm -hmm. I do think the blog is making a comeback because I think there really are great assets there that you can have to like drive SEO and keyword searches. And so I think there is a benefit to having a blog. Um, but at the time it was blog sponsored Instagram content and sponsored YouTube content. Um, like I said at the time, you were, you were either doing one or the other and the workload was really heavy. And so mm-hmm. a blog post at the time was five to seven images. It was very word heavy. It was a lot of work to just create one blog post. And
1: mm-hmm. then on
0: YouTube... It's a lot of work to create video content. So I felt like I was doubled up on the content I was creating. And then at the time, it was like Instagram was just a place to drive traffic to your blog and your YouTube. So you were like repurposing that content on your Instagram account, not necessarily creating content for Instagram first how it is now. So Mm -hmm. it was really different. And so luckily, I had a manager. And so I reached out to this place and I was like, hey, I just launched my blog a month ago. I have random like companies messaging me via my Instagram, PayPaling me $50 to post these things. <laughs> I think there's something here. And they were like, let me take a look at your blog. Let me take a look at your Instagram. And they were like, you know, usually we wouldn't sign people that are so early in this, but like we see a lot of potential here. They ended up signing me and really helped navigate like that first couple years of my career as far as like sponsored content and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to post. And so- I always really love luxury and prestige beauty. And that was really like what I think set me apart at the beginning. And so on YouTube at this time, there's a lot of like um, really glam makeup or like Michelle fan where it's like, like a look. And for me, it was more like I was buying stuff from Sephora and I feel like it, it was really different at the time on YouTube. And so I feel like because I was a little bit older too, at that point, I really thought of it as like a business. I was sharing Armani and Laura Mercier and like brands that I still love and work with today. I Mm -hmm. I have Laura Mercier in my very first YouTube video in 2012. And I did something with them for their translucent setting powder. And I was like, I genuinely like use this this many years ago and I still use it now. So it was just sharing that kind of content. So anyway, the revenue split was Instagram, but it was like it was like a sponsored blog post plus one Instagram post or a sponsored YouTube video plus one Instagram post, to like promote the YouTube video, where now I feel like Instagram stories and Instagram feed are first and foremost. And then like the YouTube might be supplemental.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, YouTube specifically, I feel like it's become a pretty big monetization channel for a lot of people. And I know for you, you know, when I look at your content, one of the things I found interesting was that you would have... You know, some videos that would get 30,000 views and some videos that would get 3 million views. Um, so talk me through like how, you know, what was it? Like what was the difference, right, between those? And then I also know that you said you've recently kind of stopped doing YouTube. Um, and what what was the thinking behind that?
0: So as far as the views, you never really know. Like if we mm-hmm. all could get a lot of views all the time, we would all be doing it. Or people are comfortable with like clickbait type titles or clickbait type thumbnails. That just wasn't the type of content I was doing. And I feel like YouTube is really great. I think that the reason why a lot of TikTokers are on YouTube is because they're really personality driven. They're like their own reality stars and entertainers. And so I feel like that tr- that content translates really well into having YouTube channels. And so I think there is a place for YouTubers. I just felt like who I am personally, that wasn't the best platform for me of like where I wanted to dedicate my time and as i started adding more jobs onto my plate i could only do so much and i felt like something had to give and the time commitment to youtube is very time intensive um and you can't delegate a lot of it it's, it's with the podcast too is like you're researching the video ahead of time and you know depending how prepared you like to be if it's a vlog or tutorial preparing everything and then going through all the footage afterwards and editing it. And I was editing my own videos because I liked, you know, knowing exactly what was going into each video, uploading them, the thumbnail, the title. And so I felt like for me, I would rather just focus on Instagram and grow this. And so if I had time, I would do it all. Um, <laughs> but I just don't. And I feel like it's really hard on YouTube now unless you are are an entertainer type personality, or you're really adding some sort of value. And I just felt like the value I could add was better suited for other platforms. And so that's fine, you know? And, and if one day I feel like YouTube is there for me again, like I'll upload, but I personally like, like there's so many great people on there. And like, I feel like it's also suited for like a younger audience now too. And they're growing so, so, so fast mm-hmm. that I'm like, let them like, I'm going to let them do their thing here. Like, let me win where I can win at.
1: Yeah. I mean, focus is so critical um, in terms of success. I think being really intentional, right? So making those decisions and saying, Hey, these are the areas I'm going to focus on right now, right? Uh, Because of XX and X reason. And I think I would imagine for you too, and this is actually kind of a natural transition, but you know, for you more and more of your time, I would imagine is, is spent on the company, right. And on the brand and like, in a lot of ways, the learnings that you're, you're getting on the podcast that you're doing are probably really helpful to growing the company. And so putting effort there versus YouTube, I think just in terms of where your career is and where your, where your focus is, feels like it makes more sense too.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, luckily now with Instagram and Instagram stories and IGTV, I can still give my followers the video content that they want, but it's just on one platform now versus like split up. And I think people's attention span is also very short now. So to be able to give them like a 60 second clip of like a tutorial that like could have taken 15 minutes on YouTube, it's easier for me. I can still give them the video content they want. And so that's where it's like, I don't, feel like I still need to upload on YouTube where I can still give you a video tutorial of like what you might've wanted to see on YouTube. Or if you liked watching my vlogs that I used to upload forever ago, I'm basically daily vlogging through Instagram stories now instead.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. Is, have you thought at all, we didn't talk about this. Have you talked to thought at all about TikTok? Uh, what are your, what's your thoughts there?
0: So I have like a hundred thousand followers on TikTok. Um, yeah. I don't really post frequently. I have one video on there. I don't know. Maybe it's like, Fifteen million views or something like one went very very viral. It was like I just opened it, so a sound went off. You see how many views <laughs> that one has now—twelve million. I have, like my my biggest video on TikTok has twelve million views. I uploaded it a year and three months ago. It still gets views and comments every single day, and that's the thing with TikTok is. I've seen the careers of Charlie D'Amelio, Addison Ray, Hiram, and beauty. And so, Michaela and makeup. And it's like, I see the power that it has. Like, when I first started following Michaela on TikTok, she was working at Ulta and she kept going viral, 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 quit her job working at Ulta and now is like one of the top beauty creators on TikTok and mm-hmm, and her mm-hmm. she's get working with amazing brands that she was buying from Alta as as a retail salesperson. And I think the chance that anyone can go viral on there. Like Instagram, it's so much harder to grow. I think TikTok, if you're a new influencer or creator, that is the place to be. And then as a brand trying to figure out what works for you on TikTok, um, it's different than reels. It's It's the same as in like it's short form video, but it is not the same type of content. So I think you have to have a different strategy for TikTok and a different strategy for Reels because it's just it's two different platforms. You can't expect the same thing to work on both places. But I also feel like since I'm not like an entertainer, I don't really know for me personally, like how I would translate my content to TikTok. And so I upload like every once in a while. And like, it's nice to have 100,000 followers on there. But I'm still trying to figure out like what works for me there specifically.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think you don't want to, the the thing is all these platforms are actually quite different. And so you really, you know, you should be creating content that's native to that platform and fit for that platform versus you actually can't, I feel like you can repurpose it a little bit, but for the most part, like, you know, the content you create for Instagram stories is going to be different than the content you create for TikTok is going to be different than the content you create for YouTube, right? Or for a podcast, like it's all, it's all additive work. Um, well, I'd love to transition to Summer Fridays and talk about that a little bit. And and maybe, you know, I'd love to hear about what from your content creation career did you bring to Summer Fridays that influenced the brand? Like what did you, what learnings did you bring from one to the other as you, as you transitioned? So I
0: would say the first thing is when we started summer Fridays. When we started working on it. It was 2016. So I don't think that Instagram stories were around at this time. Um, but whenever I would get products from a brand, they would want me to post it on my Instagram. And I'm like, I love the product, but maybe the packaging just isn't great. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about content creation at this point, we didn't know we were going to launch at Sephora. And so we were like, if we're going to be a D2C brand, if we're Ecom only, how do we get people to want to try something just from seeing what it looks like in a picture? And so in addition to have really amazing formulas that were effective, that actually worked, we wanted to combine that with like great marketing and great packaging. And we found that either products had great packaging and the actual like product was not great or the product was great and we didn't love the packaging. And so we thought about Instagram and we thought about how will this translate for a picture and how will people want to take a picture and share this product? And so we came up with the idea for the tube for our first three masks. And we loved that because one, it was sustainable, which obviously sustainable's taken off. So in 2016, you have to think like we're ahead of the curve thinking about <laughs> aluminum packaging this long ago. Um, and so we had sustainable packaging. It was photogenic. And then um, I remember when we got our first like samples of the packaging, instead of like just looking at it, we took pictures on our iPhone. And then we looked at what the picture looked like in a square. And then we were like, make the logo larger, like make the logo bigger. So if you're taking this in a flat lay, you can see summer Fridays really clearly. And so we thought about it from a content creation standpoint. And then because we knew at the time, like this is the phase of like only pink and white Instagram feeds. Like no one was posting every color ever. This is even myself. millennial
1: pink <laughs> Millennial pink was
0: like such a thing at the time. It was like Glossier pink. Millennial pink was like the thing. And so we were like, let's make it stand out and be really different. And so blue is like, it was like this iconic blue tube that became so recognizable. You couldn't open Instagram without seeing this blue tube for like for a very long time. And it just really stood out. And then I think that the fact that we thought about Instagram first and social first was really important. And I think we, because we were influencers, we knew how we would photograph a picture. We would know we knew how we would talk about a product, and so I think that helped us so much in like you know the original couple products we have, but then in, in every product that we have moving forward.
1: I love the attention to detail there, and it's it's funny you bring that up, and it reminds me like we we actually used to have a lot of conversations with brands about that. Call it three, four, five years ago. And we'd look at like, oh, you know, what brands are doing well, what aren't. We're like, well, look at Drunk Elephant, right? Like it's a highly visual brand. It Instagrams really well. Like as if you were to compare that to other skincare brands at the time, it was quite radical, right? In terms of the, the colors. And um, and so we would tell brands like, hey, this is something you should consider when you are both either sending a gifted product, right? So when you're gifting product, making it look really good or in the actual packaging itself. So I love that. And I think the, the idea of, you know, Figuring out how this is gonna look in a flat lay or figuring out how this is gonna look in a photo is great. It's um, It reminds me of, uh, you know, obviously Mr. Beast, right? You know who he is, right? No, on YouTube? You should know him, you should check him out. So he is the fastest growing YouTuber of all time. So he's got, I think like 60 million subscribers now on YouTube and he only started maybe three or four years ago. And so each video he puts out gets somewhere between, I think it's like 25 to 30 million views on average. And so one of the things that he talks about that I think is really great is like, he spends a ton of time on like the YouTube icon, like the little icon itself. Cause he says like, hey, if I have 10 million people that see that icon and only one out of the 10 click, like what if I can get it to two out of the 10 or three out of the 10, right? So like that title and the icon are actually incredibly important. And it just, I don't know, the way you talk about it reminds me of the way that he talked about it, um, which, is, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, so you mentioned also that, you know, you guys launched with a really small set of products, right? I think just a single product to start, um, talk me through the thinking on that. Cause that's not, that's not typical for brands. I'm a huge fan of the hero product approach that you took, but talk me through the thinking on that and what, uh, what led you to it.
0: So it, it goes back to being an influencer and I think being an influencer was the greatest, preparation we could have had for starting a brand because as an influencer, you are so many things and I know you appreciate it, but it's like, you're a photographer, you're a videographer, you're an editor, you are a publicist, you are, you're so many things. And one Mm -hmm. of the things that we are is someone who receives free product and we receive product in hopes of sharing this or working with the brand. And as influencers for so many years, we would get these packages and it would be from a new brand or a brand that already exists and be 20 products in a box. And I'm like, I don't even know where to start because there's so much here that I (laughs) like
1: which one's good. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I've never met you. I've never seen your brand before. Or maybe I am familiar, but you send me 20 things. I don't even know which one to begin with. So maybe I don't even try anything because I'm like so overwhelmed by just like the sheer option of things. So that's one part of it. Another part is being a new and indie brand. There's only so much to your capacity and your resources are very limited at the very beginning. And so uh, starting with a lower assortment is much better and so for us when we started we said okay we know we're overwhelmed as consumers so let's not overwhelm our new customers and let's launch with this single product well at the time people weren't really doing this like now some people are but at the time it was really like beauty blender was like one of the very few brands that like launched with a single skew mm-hmm. and I also think it makes it easier than, you know, eventually we did pitch it to Sephora. We went into Sephora. And so it's easier for retailers to just say, okay, I'm going to take a risk on you and just buy into one product versus you're launching with 12 things and I have to buy all of them. So I think it makes it easier as retailers too, but it is high risk and high reward and (laughs) it is very risky. And so, Obviously, I think anyone who's starting a company—if you're coming out with a product, you're you feel good about it. But you have to feel really good and hope that people like it. Because if they don't, until your next product launch, you could have a quarter or a year, however long it might be, with not a lot of sales. And so you have to feel really confident in this because if it works, it's amazing. If it doesn't work, it's not so great. And so, yeah, um, it, it ended up working out for us, and you know the product took off much faster than we anticipated. Um, and we've been really grateful. So it's just I think Women's Red Daily just recently named it like hundred greatest skincare products of all time. And uh we won a CW award for that one too. And it just seems so crazy that oh, you know, we got lucky with our first one.
1: I mean, lucky is a strong word for it, right? You guys are really intentional. And I think what's really cool when you think about the journey and the the starting of the brand. You guys just hit on a number of things that were really important, whether it was sustainability, clean, being really focused in the actual products that you released, um, having really, really solid packaging. Like it wasn't just one thing. It was a bunch of things that you put a lot of effort and time into. Um, Yeah, yeah,
0: we really tried to think of everything and we're obsessed with branding and packaging. We're also obsessed with formulas and we were like the the product has to be good. Like the packaging mm-hmm. might reel you in, but like once you try it, you have to really love it. And we, we want you to hopefully like repurchase it forever and ever. Like, is this going to be your new dove soap or like Crest toothpaste? we like, you're going to buy this forever and ever and ever. It's going to be your favorite Holy grail product. And that repurchase rate was really important to us too. And so the formulas have to work. And so we were really critical in with ourselves and through our product development process. And so um, it, it's definitely a combination of all things and you hope for the best with each launch and, and that one, people really responded to.
1: Totally. Hey, that repurchase rate is a really interesting concept because I, I think that you know historically you couldn't actually track repurchase rates at a retailer level right so if you released it in a retailer like it's hard to know right what people come back and buy and buy again i guess there's more and more data available today than there was in the past but i know that um, you know uh if you know moise ali he was uh the co-founder or the ceo i should say and founder of native deodorant which everybody knows now but didn't know at the time and they, uh, I think they went through 18 formulations in their first 24 months because, and what they were trying to drive towards was higher repurchase rates, right? So they started out like, okay, we're at a 20% repurchase rate. And by the end, they're getting it up to 40, 50%. And it's like, that doesn't sound like a lot, but that's double, right? So if you're paying to acquire a customer now, your cost is half because when they, they jump in, they're much more likely to stick around. Um, Is that something you guys tried to kind of optimize around or did you guys pay really close attention to that repurchase rate data?
0: So repurchase, we let's say like we know better now. I think at the time like we had formulated our first three masks pre-launch. And so what we learned was you know, one mask you would use every day, but the other two, you maybe would only use occasionally. Mm -hmm. And so the repurchase rate of a product that is occasional use versus daily use, especially AM or PM use is just much less. And so we have to think about it now of like, where is the volume? Like what products do you use the most frequently? And so it's hard though, because it's a balance of like, well, I I still want to launch this thing. And so there's so much more thought process that goes into each product launch now. And, you know, I'm learning every day, but. The repurchase rate is definitely something to keep an eye on.
1: For sure, let's talk about your uh, co-founder Lauren. So, what one? What made you decide to work with her? Um, and then two, you know, I think the route that you guys took in terms of having similar skill sets coming in um, is not common, right? I think that the co-found the uh, Glow Recipe co-founders are kind of the same, where they have like very similar backgrounds um but uh how do you guys kind of divide and conquer in terms of duties on the brand side?
0: Yeah, so Lauren is just the best. Like who she is on Instagram is like truly who she is in real life. Um she's just like the best partner and people ask all the time like do you guys argue and we're like honestly no. Like we don't argue. We agree on everything like whatever's best for the brand. Like we put our egos aside and it's like if this is best for Summer Fridays, this is what we want to do. And I think in any co-founder relationship if you're thinking about starting a company or going into business with someone is Are you aligned on the same goals? Like, do you want the same thing? And I think you have to discuss that openly beforehand because if you go into something and you both want different things like it's not going to end well. Um and so ultimately like we wanted the same things for our brands and I think you know I talked to someone on my podcast and she said her and her co-founder were like you know, like a diagram where it's like she's one circle and then the co-founder is another circle and there's very little overlap and that's what makes a great partnership but for us we have the same skill sets so for us it was like hiring the people who don't know how to do things we don't know how to do but The benefit is we are similar, but different. And so I think when we think about product, we're thinking about marketing to the same woman, but maybe in different times of her life or like a little bit different types of customers. And so Lauren is a mom of two. She was really early pregnant when we started working on the brand. Um, And so when she's thinking about product and marketing, it's more from like the clean beauty, wellness, busy mom simple ingredients simple skincare routine where i'm more like focused on like the beauty girl who's obsessed with product and there are different types of people there are people that go into sephora and they're not on instagram they're not seeing what people are posting all the time and she wants clean effective products that are easy to use and that's who lauren is speaking to with her audience and for me it's a different type of girl and so i think it's interesting because we both think of the same thing but like how would my customer think of this versus like how you know Lauren or my audience would think of something. And so that is really, really helpful for us because I think it helps in marketing because we can't assume that everybody is so knowledgeable about skincare, even though the people I think are more knowledgeable now than ever. Um, there are a lot of skincare novices. And I think that really is the aspect that she brings from her community online.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that makes a ton of sense. And I also think, you know, the comment you make in there in terms of learning from your community, is really interesting as well. Like I have to imagine that all your years of like reviewing products and getting feedback and hearing other people's opinions played a huge role in the success of the brand Um, and getting two different perspectives, right? Getting her perspective and yours is just, is so valuable.
0: It's so valuable. And I think, as influencers, like the platform that I use is reward style. And I can see how many people click on things, how many people buy, like what price point, what retailers are they shopping from? And you know, I would post a product and people would say, is this vegan? Is this cruelty-free? Is this good for all skin types? And this is just like years of you know, data that I didn't even know that I was gathering. I was just posting the <laughs> stuff that I liked, and then with Lauren, it was like for her audience, it was like, oh, is this pregnancy safe? Is this breastfeeding safe? Like, um, is this easy to use? And so we were taking all of this data of all different types of women, and you know, catering to them. And so it is invaluable to have this two-way conversation. And being a smaller brand, you know, we do plan pretty far in advance now, but like we we can take that feedback and actually do something with it where I think sometimes if you're a larger company it might get lost in the shuffle and not actually end up in the right people's hands and so we're asking our community and that's really where CC me was born which is our first serum out- outside of face masks and it was really from asking you know our followers what product do you guys want from us next they told us they wanted a serum. And then I think because of the age group that they're in, their skincare concern was hyperpigmentation and dark spots because they were after a phase of like blemishes and breakouts and they were before the phases of, you know, anti aging. So it was like they wanted this specific skincare concern treated. And that's the product we made. And like now, one of our best sellers.
1: Yeah, I think it's a big advantage for you guys versus kind of the more traditional players, right? Their product development process just looks vastly different. And I know that like when we interviewed Ashton at ColourPop, like she would talk about based on the comments, they would decide kind of production volumes and marketing strategies, right? What are we gonna promote right now? Oh, everybody's talking about the green shade, right? Like that's just, that is, um, that world is so different than the way that the majority of the large players operate from a product development perspective, that it's uh it's a huge, huge strategic advantage for you guys. Um so let's talk about the growth of the brand. So you guys have grown dramatically over the last few years. I think you said in an interview with Bobby Brown that you you know sold over a million products, which is awesome. Congratulations um so what has been the hardest part of dealing with that hyper growth like what's been the, the what have been the things that you didn't expect coming in everything um, <laughs> you're telling it, me this isn't easy <laughs> yeah. so you know
0: we never ran a business before um we didn't go to business school there is so much that we don't know i think that is a blessing i think um, how do we, I think if you know too much, you might be more cautious, but I think not knowing a lot was fine because we, we were okay. Taking risks. We are okay. Launching one product at a time. And so, um, with that growth eventually came, you know, we raised money in, um, 2019 with Prelude who is amazing. Their other brands include Westman Atelier, Sol de Janeiro. They recently invested in DPU.
1: That's Netta and Alicia, right? Yeah,
0: they are incredible. And we met, with, <laughs> we met with any and everybody, and it really is like dating. And I would say, if you're somebody who's considering raising money for your business, meet everybody, like really get to know everyone first and like, think who is the most helpful to you. And so like we were saying that before, like the diagram of like, you know, what is the overlap? They know so much that we don't know. Mm-hmm. And they have so much experience that they could really complement and help us. And so they were the right partners for us. So one, it was, you know, with growth, came needing money to grow the business. And so that was one part of it. And then the other part was growing a team. And we have the um, most amazing team. Like we get a lot of the credit because we're forward-facing founders, but it is not possible without the people who work behind the scenes on Summer Fridays every single day. And they are just... The best of the best. They are amazing. They are so passionate about the brand. They are smarter than we are. They are so incredible. And so we, our CEO's John Hefner, he was previously at Dry Bar, and um, Dry Bar, uh, an, another amazing business, and so innovative in what they were doing with like you know, dry bars didn't really exist, and then they yeah. turned that into a product line. The product line is also incredible. And so, um, building out that team and having that leadership to you know take the business to the next level and. He has just been incredible and we have no ego in saying there's things that we don't know. And so he really compliments us as far as like overseeing the business and the business side operations and finance so that we can then focus on product development and marketing and anything that's like forward facing with consumers.
1: 100%. Yeah, it's been a uh, I've got a similar relationship with my co-founder, John where he kind of serves that similar role that you're talking about in terms of finance, back operations, running of the company day to day, which allows me to uh, do the stuff that's fun for me, right? Um, so, uh, which I still need to talk to you, by the way, I've got a, a product we're building for the influencers and I'm pretty excited about it. So we need to, we need to uh, sideline on that one.
0: I'm like secretly uh, like such a techie, like I love <laughs> anything like that. So I'm definitely interested to see.
1: Yeah. We're, we're going to talk about it. It's going to be big. I think it's going to be big. Um, but yeah, no, that's, uh, scaling is hard. It's really hard. And finding good people is hard. And, uh, people don't, you know, most people haven't gone through a company, been at a company that's go, grown over a hundred percent year over year. And things just break all the time because like what you did last year doesn't work this year. And, and the faster you grow, the faster things break. And so, um,
0: we have to think we're in, we just celebrated our third anniversary. So for one third of our lifetime of our business, we've been in a pandemic and we have had to work remotely. And so that's difficult and working remotely and adding team members that we have yet to meet in person, um, that are working remotely. And, you know, they have done an incredible job, like working from home. And, um, so it's been crazy to grow and I can't wait to hopefully, you know, I'll be in the same space sooner than later.
1: Yeah. It's going to be so nice to get together with the team. Like we have so many team members I haven't met face to face now that it's uh, it's, it's tough.
0: Yeah. I think it's tough too, because, you know, externally we're building a brand and so we're, you're trying to build up your customers and your community. And then internally you're building a company at the same time. And so you're in the early phases of like the building blocks of company culture and your org chart and hiring people and building out teams. And so Externally, you see that we're you know launching products and doing things, and internally, we're trying to build company culture and hire people and really support the business so that we're a properly functioning company. Um, and so there's a there's a lot that goes into that too that people don't really see.
1: So talk to me about your influencer strategy, right? So you guys are top ten brand, second fastest growing brand, and of course, you know, I think. What people will typically focus on, which is actually, I think, less important than they realize is like your role in that, right? Like your, your personal channel. Like, of course, it's great that you support the brand and you should, but the reality is that you've got a massive community that is supporting the company. So talk to me about kind of what your philosophies are there from an influencer marketing perspective, Uh, maybe how you structure the team. You know, what are the things that are driving, driving your success there outside of having a fantastic product?
0: Well, I will say I'm not our biggest influencer anymore. Like for a while (laughs) at the beginning, it's like, okay, like I'm pushing a lot. And now it's like, there are people who send much more traffic and sales and EMV and everything than I do. And like Lauren does. And so it's so interesting to see, like, I like am obsessed with going in and seeing like, what's driving what, like, it's really, really, really interesting. And so I think You know, I I talked to someone before from another brand, and they had to basically report to their boss, EMV, because that was how their boss measured success. And so their budget was, you know, if we make the top ten or if we're ranked here, we have X amount in EMV. Then this is like what your budget is allocated towards because they need something tangible. We can't win there. We are a small brand. That's not the budget that we have. So we can't say we're going to spend X dollars to for sure, make this number because we don't really know how that's going to translate. And so I think for a little bit, we were like trying to play that game and it, it didn't work for us. So mm-hmm. we thought, okay, we're, we're not going to try to do that. We are to, what we are going to try to do is just do what we do best, which is gifting people, working with influencers that are a good fit for us. So instead of like chasing an EMV number, it's like, who really is a good fit for the brand? Because I think a few years ago, I saw this too, where I saw brands working with people that it wasn't necessarily the right fit, but I could tell that they were trying to like chase like the big YouTuber. And I think brand alignment is so important. There are brands who I know that I wouldn't like, it just wouldn't translate for me. And so I'm doing the brand a disservice by working with them because there is a better fit for that person. So I think if you're a brand, go after your customer, go after your people who naturally speak about the brand anyway. And that's why I think it's great to have the access to this data because you're seeing how frequently someone talks about the brand, what EMV they're already organically sending. So if you want to work with them, you kind of have an idea of like what it might translate to and what it might look like. So looking at, um, how we work with influencers. So influencers, I think, you know, I talk about this because I want them to know, like Mm -hmm, if you mm -hmm. talk about a brand and you tag a brand, we see it. Like it will show up on our tribe. Like if you posted about us 11 times last week, we, we know. And so when we're looking for new people to work with, we go and we say, they let's show this person some love because they posted us 11 times or they sent this much EMV. And there will be people where we didn't know they weren't on our radar. They bought the products organically and posted us. And then those are the people we end up working with. And so if you're an influencer listening to this, go buy your favorite brands. If you really want to work with someone, tag them because not only with what happens is, there's a social media person, right? And that's pr- that's probably the person answering DMs, responding to comments, looking at tagged pictures. But then the influencer relations person or the person in charge of like the influencer budget where they're actually spending money, this person is on the back end of Tribe. And this person is seeing how frequently you posted a brand, what the EMV is that you sent, how many times you posted your Instagram stories, your feed posts, and they can go to your profile and click every single time that you've posted about the brand. And so I think that's the best way to get on a brand's radar. And so for us, that's how we find new people to work with so it's a combination I think for every brand campaign every new launch it's like a mix right like you don't want to go all micro you don't want to go all macro you need a a little bit of everything and so I think working with your typical big influencers that have a large reach I think their benefit is one EMV is great but two it's just like sheer brand awareness they might not translate a ton of sales, but a lot of people are going to see your new product launch from this person. Then I think there's like mid-tier people who a lot of, or micro even, but they're sending a lot of sales where they might not get you a ton of EMV, but like their swipe ups are crazy or they have mm-hmm, really good mm-hmm. content creation that you can repurpose. Um, yep. So each person kind of serves a different purpose. And then when we go through and we're looking at an influencer, either for like what we spend monthly or for a new product launch, we know each different person has A specific thing that we're working for them, working with them for. Um, And then I think being an influencer, I hope has made us an easier brand to work with because when we're coming up with, you know, the campaign or the one sheet that we send a brand, we give them a little bit more creative freedom. And I think when you're working with influencers, if you just want them to reiterate what you're saying, like you may as well just run digital marketing ads and do it yourself. But if you want to work with an influencer, they know what works best for their audience. So give them creative freedom to speak about the, there's maybe like a a talking point you wanna include, but give them freedom to share the product that they think works best for their audience in a way that they think their audience will resonate with it. And so, and I think telling an influencer ahead of time, like, hey, I really wanna work with you because we need a boost in sales, or we really wanna work with you because we want really great content. Then the influencer knows going into when they're doing the job for you, how they will photograph or speak about the product. Because if you just want a pretty picture and that's why you're working with me, I will share it differently than if you just want like pure sales, Mm -hmm, because that's a different mm -hmm. type of content. So I think just giving them creative freedom and then also, you know, letting them know what your goals are ahead of time is really helpful for a successful campaign.
1: So I'm going to clip out that last section you said and just send it to every brand I talk to, because that's that's the playbook we talk about is what you talked about there. And I think your your comments on the kind of big brands chasing EMV, that was a big problem we had at the beginning. Right. Because we we would observe and we say, okay we know what Summer Fridays is doing. We know what ColourPop's doing. We know what, you know, Morphe's doing. Like we know these approaches and how they work. But the problem is that the way that we're measuring things is kind of pushing people in the wrong direction, right? It's making it so that they wanna chase the one person that gets a lot of EMV on YouTube to then go and pay that person to talk about the brand. We're like, no, 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 that's not how you win. I think that's part of the reason that we've really focused on this idea of retention. Like how good are you at keeping the people around that love your brand? Like the people that talked about you in the past, are they still talking about you or have they fallen off, right? And I think that that's, that really echoes with your comments from the beginning of the podcast where you said like, yeah, I've been talking about Laura Mercier for years, literally years. And like, that is such a valuable relationship for them. And you're not going to stop either, right? You're not going to, you still love the brand. There's still products that you really care about there. Then you probably have a close relationship with them and like those things matter. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to clip that and just send it to everybody. Cause that was, uh, it's the exact playbook we would recommend. So, um, well, let's let's get into some kind of fun questions because there's a bunch of questions I could go here, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, So two fun questions. Um, One, who is your dream guest for your podcast? Um, So for your podcast, if you could get one person to come on, anybody in the world, who would it be?
0: Uh well, because I talked about her, op- or Oprah, like I just oh, that's love a her. So it's like I have to say Oprah because I just need to let her know how obsessed I am with her and how she really has influenced my life in such a positive way in my career and love her.
1: It's uh, did you watch the Meghan Markle? Uh, of course. Yeah, I watched it. Not from the like, I enjoyed the interview, right? I think I thought it was fascinating. Um, but then I really kind of observed her as an interviewer. And I was like, man. She's good. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I haven't spent enough time watching Oprah, but like... I need to just for my own my own skill set. She said to
0: like um, before they would record the show, like every time they would record, she would get her like producers and crew and everyone ahead of the time. And they would say, what is the intention of what we're doing before we start this episode? And not everything needs to be so deep, but is it just to entertain our guests? And whatever it is, just, Like ask yourself that question before going into a podcast recording or an interview or whatever it might be of like, what is my intention or what do I, I want to get out of this? Or what do I hope my audience gets from this? And so she goes into those interviews thinking that and that's top of mind for her and then everybody who's working on the episode, too. And I think, of course, you can have a script and of course you can have the goal of what you might think. But like I think setting that intention too just is probably why she is who she is, because she knows why she's doing something outside of like just, you know, to entertain people.
1: Totally. I think the the other thing. I actually. What's funny is I have uh, somebody that's helped us out with our podcast, right? Both on the back end and then gives us feedback. It's great. Great guy named Dan Weir, and uh, he he actually gave me an Oprah quote before we started. He's like, "Make sure to ask your guests guests like, what's your goal, right? Because that was an Oprah thing. She would ask them like, "What is your goal from this interview? Um, and like they would tell them their goal and then she said, okay, I'll get there. Like, don't jump the gun, right? Cause usually people would be promoting something or they have a book or a movie or whatever. She's like, I'll get there. I'll make sure we hit, but like, let me take the lead on that. And I thought that was a really great piece of advice too. I really liked that. Even though I didn't do it with you before this interview. So, um, uh, okay. And then final question. And I hope this doesn't get you in trouble with, uh, your co-founders or any of your team, but If you had to launch a brand in another category, could be beauty, could be non-beauty, what what category would you launch your brand in?
0: Ooh, well... There's a lot of things. Um,
1: I think <laughs> I had a feeling you've thought about this one.
0: Yeah, I think you know, Summer Fridays will not be like my last, you know, company that I end up launching, and so I think I have an entrepreneurial bug, and I think there's so many things that I want to do in the future. Like two people's career who I've had on my podcast also is Catherine Powers, did an amazing job between Verst and now Merit, who what, where Click Media. Uh, Aveline Wine, now her SPAC is coming. And so she has been able to do a lot of things and do them well. And, you know, I've picked her brain about how, how do you manage so many different companies. And then Emma Greed is another one. I have an upcoming episode with her, but she's got Good American Skims now safely with Chrissy Teigen and Kris Jenner. And, um, you know, those are uh, uh, within three different categories. And so, Um, we'll see. Uh, but I think it's been fun for summer Fridays in the meantime to try other, other products. And so we launched merch last year of like in a time when people were hanging out at home and just wanted sweatpants we came out with those it sold out in a couple minutes and then now <laughs> it's a part of our brand and what we do and we have apparel launches now that come every few months and so we didn't think summer fridays would always also be a, an apparel company but here we are and i think it proves that you know we really are a lifestyle um and it's not just skincare but like you want to let people know that you're wearing and that you use the brand and it's been really really fun for us to do
1: I think you guys just absolutely nailed it with the name. Like, I love it. I think it's like, it's so transportable, it's so unique, it's different, like I haven't, you know, there's, I haven't It heard. feels like a feeling. Yeah, you know, and I think that's like you said, like why you can move into other categories with it, right? It doesn't have to just be skincare. And uh, yeah, you guys just nailed it. I remember when I heard the name, I was like, <sighs> They nailed that one. They really got that one right. <laughs> Thank
0: you. It was it was hard to get there. Trademarking is difficult. Um, but we really wanted a name that felt like a feeling that was easy to say. And it really, I think, translates to our products and our, ma- our marketing, our branding, our photography, um, everything. And, you know, it's always a summer Friday in Los Angeles. So
1: <laughs> We actually started doing summer Fridays at the beginning of the pandemic. It was more pandemic Fridays where we do every other Friday off. And uh, then it we went from a summer Friday to a fall Friday to winter Fridays to now. I don't know if we're going to stop. We've just been doing every other Friday off for over a year. And it's like, I don't know. This is pretty great. Like, yeah, we have
0: summer. Obviously, since our company is Summer Fridays, we give <laughs> Summer Fridays. And yeah. it's really nice, I think, to just unwind because it's almost like if you – work all the way till really late on Friday. Then it's like your Saturday is like kind of catch up. Then like you, you really have such a short weekend. And so from Memorial day to labor day, we, we have summer Fridays, which is really, really nice. And it's not just nice for the team, but it's like nice for us too. Cause then it's like, okay, no one needs us Fridays (laughs) afternoons. So it's funny.
1: For sure. I mean, that's like, you can take a day off, but they don't take a day off. Right. Like if you're, if you're out. Um,
0: (laughs) Yeah. it's, It's hard to take a day off. I think I try now. Um, But I think if like it's not from something from Summer Fridays, it's like influencer podcasts, And so um, I try to do that because I think, you know, within Summer Fridays, we have vacation days and time off and stuff. But as influencers, there is no job security. There is no sick days. There are no off days. And if anything, like for a lot of the influencers, like people want more content from them around the holidays like what are you doing for new year's eve how are, what are you doing on christmas morning and uh, you just gave birth i want a picture right now and so it's like where normal jobs would have you know maternity leave or holidays influencers are expected to even share more through those special moments and so um i try to talk to my influencer times all the time like you know take time off like if you had a normal job you would have these days for yourself. And so the problem
1: is you've got this public scorecard, right? You're like looking at the other people and you going, well, I mean, they're growing a little faster it's and look really, at what Mr. Really Beast is hard. doing. And-
0: <laughs> well, in no other job do you see what your, com- not competitors, what your, your peers and coworkers are doing on a daily basis. And so, there's an actual number. And that's why when Instagram likes went away for like a day and then they came back, I loved that they were gone because it's like, then people are genuinely creating the content they want versus like, well, they got 30,000 likes. So like, I need to try to get 30,000 likes. And like, it's just really different. And I think, you know, as I'm a little bit older now, you know, I'm going to be 35 this year. And so I... I'm confident in the content I create. I'm not so caught up in my amount of followers and things like that, but I do think for younger influencers, it's really difficult to look at the number of followers you have, what your engagement looks like. And so comparison is really, really hard. And I, I really feel for the younger influencers because I feel like it really messes with your head and, you know, in time you become more confident and maybe likes will go away again. But, um, it's definitely it's it's unlike other jobs where you're like scored basically every day.
1: Yeah, I uh, I can tell you from a measurement perspective, my preference is that likes stick around, but uh, I do why you have to go like.
0: <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I you would still be able to get them on the back end. So, like, you yeah, would still yeah, get yeah, likes, yeah. and then like you would still be able to see the analytics and stuff. And so, I think on the back end, like you'll still have all of that data and you'll still be able to like gauge it. Or if you're working with brands, you can send them your analytics afterwards. So that part I think is still going to be there, but at least it won't be so public facing. And so that part I think is, is difficult for people to, to deal with. Yeah.
1: It's super hard. And especially, I mean, like, I didn't really have that. Like we had a little bit of it when we were in college. Like, I mean, I'm the same age as you, right? So We had a little bit of that like facebook kind of came around during while i was in college and that was a thing and myspace you know before that but it wasn't quite as culturally ingrained as it is now we're like you know now not just influencers but like you know kids in high school right like it's like a competition and it's 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 tough there's there are definitely downsides to it for sure which i honestly we could spend a whole nother podcast on to be honest um, well, I really want to thank you for taking out the time. I had a blast today. I learned a lot. I'm certainly going to use that clip for clients who don't know what they're doing uh, to tell them how to run their programs. And, uh, and yeah, congratulations on all your success. I'm a huge fan and just really impressed by everything that you and Lauren have accomplished as well as you personally. And so um, congrats. Hope you guys keep, keep winning.
0: Thank you so much. And um, when our team heard last week or whatever, second growing, second fastest growing top 10 brand, like the marketing team, just so proud of them and everything that they've been doing. And they use that as, you know, an internal mark of success of all the work that they do every day. And so thank you for your platform, because it's a way for us to measure how well we're doing things. (laughs) So thank you for having me.
1: Of course. Of course. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye.
0: Hit subscribe now. Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Tribe Dynamics unlocks your social media influencer community. Our platform not only tracks and measures your best influencer relationships, but discovers new influencers to grow your business through earned media. Get started with a demo today at TribeDynamics.com. TribeDynamics.com